Today's teaching text is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans. This is Romans chapter 8, starting in uh, verse 1. We'll go, uh, I think, 1 through 13. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free, free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The, um, you, ha- oh, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. I'm so excited about the last part of this text. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. These are the words of the Lord. You may be seated. So uh, this is the final talk in the series that we've been calling Pursue where we have been talking about the essentials to pursuing the way of Jesus. I talked about these in the welcome. I just want to recap these for you right now. The four essentials throughout historic Christianity, though different language has been used to describe or define or to talk about these things, there really are only four essentials to what it is to live the way of Jesus. And those essentials, our words for them at least, are freedom, belonging, mission, and presence. So when we talk about living the way of Jesus, this isn't some sort of generic catch-all phrase. We mean some very specific things by that phrase. So to invite you into a life of pursuing the way of Jesus, we are inviting you into a specific way, a specific kind of life, something we can actually define and sort of get our, get our arms around as we seek to follow Jesus in a place like New York City. This is really the singular aim of our church, is to help you pursue uh, the way of Jesus. So that everything that we do, um, we, we do a, a bunch of groups. Uh, we do a, a number of gatherings. We 
host certain events throughout the year. Everything that we do as a community, all of those things are purposed to help you pursue the way of Jesus as it's been defined uh, throughout our rich faith history. Uh, So when we learn and when we practice the way of Jesus, the idea here is this, that we begin to experience the in-breaking kingdom of God in our lives and around us. So really, that's what we're after. What we're after is the thing that we believe that God is after, which is the renewal of all things. It's it's it's, It's creation recreated by the love and grace of God poured out by his spirit through Jesus and now through the church. And so we are joining God in that mission when you and I take responsibility for our own uh, spiritual development, our own spiritual maturity and growth. So that the aim of every Christ follower, it it, it seems obvious, but I wanna make sure that we, we, we mention it, the aim of every Christian, every disciple of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, is that we would become more like Jesus. So that maybe I don't look more like Jesus at the end of today than I did this morning, but maybe by the end of the week, the needle's been moved a little bit in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's because my mind has been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. Or maybe it's been because in community with other followers of Jesus, I'm learning better how to put into practice the teaching of Jesus, how to apply that to my life, how to obey Jesus. For whatever, uh, whatever the, the sort of the means or the method, we become more and more like Jesus so that uh, the city, so that the world becomes more and more like heaven. And I wanna tell you as your pastor, I want this for you more than anything. I- I'm excited, it's so cool, to, like we were, I was, talking to somebody in the lobby today who said, and I hear this all of the time, who said they ran into somebody who goes to a different community and they asked what church this couple in our church goes to and they said TGC and the person just kind of went on and on about the quality of people they meet when they meet people from Trinity Grace Church. I know it's because we have the best people, but most people outside don't know that, but it's always so encouraging. I love that. We do have amazing people. You guys are incredible. I love what you do. I love your lives, the choices that have led you here, even the wounds that sort of are a part of your story, the way that God is redeeming and working all of that. And I want you to do well in New York, and I want you to do well as parents, and I want you to do well as senior level people in your firm, and I want you to do well, those of you who are starting out and those of you who are in school. But the thing I want for you more than anything else is that you would become transformed to, be, to, to look more like Jesus uh, than you do now. That over time, as a part of your relationship with Jesus and pursuing him as a part of this community, that you're really transformed into his likeness. I want that for you. I want that for our church. I want that for our city. I want that for our world. And so one of the four ways that we pursue the way of Jesus is pursuing here this morning the way of presence. So if you haven't done this already, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or your Bible app uh, to Romans chapter 8 to the teaching text that um, I just read. And Romans 8 is such a rich, this, even the, this, you know, this chapter and the surrounding chapters are so rich theologically. But I feel like there's so much in here about the spirit that gets overlooked. And to me, this is uh, so foundational to what it is uh, that we're after when we pursue the way of presence. And so I want to read, uh, I'm going to break this down into some chunks now. Let's just look at the first four vo- verses. What is it that Paul is saying 
And, and what can we learn about the way of presence through, through Paul's writing? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a huge statement. If we believe that the whole world was condemned because of sin and rebellion, now Paul comes in and he says, but, but wait, now Jesus has in the, been inserted in the story, and because of Jesus, there's now no condemnation for those who are in him. That's huge. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, before, the only way to get right with God was to obey his law. But we also learn in the scriptures that really that was never the intended purpose of the law because nobody can obey God perfectly. The law was implemented so that we would see how desperate we are for God to intervene in our stories, for God to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's the law of sin and death. It's the law of trying to get God's blessing or be reconciled to God through our own actions, through our own behaviors. We just couldn't do it. And Paul is saying, by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, by way of the Holy Spirit, now a new law has come in. But it's not a law of sin and death, it's a law of life, it's the law of the Spirit. So by this Spirit, we, we are reconciled to God. By the Spirit, we have life. Now let's skip down to verse, uh, uh, the second part of verse three. God did not send his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be, uh, sorry, God did this by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh. See, once we were condemned, but now we're not condemned anymore. The sin in our flesh is condemned. But see, we have life because God has given that to us by Jesus through the Spirit. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So trying to keep God's law doesn't work. It only reinforces our brokenness. But praise God that through Jesus, the Spirit of God sets us free from sin and death. Now, I think it's important that we start here because the word that we translate here as Spirit is the... The Old Testament, or the, I'm sorry, the New Testament, the Greek, the biblical Greek word pneuma. That's how we get the word spirit. And there are two words in scriptures that, that we get translated or that we translate into the, the English word uh, spirit. The first is pneuma here in the New Testament scriptures. And then the second is ruach. And ruach is, an, is a Hebrew word. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. But both words mean the same thing. The Hebrew word ruach and the Hebrew word um, pneuma, both are talking about the spirit, that's the English word, and they both reflect the breath or the wind of God. Now that's significant because when we look at the breath or the wind of God throughout the scriptures, we understand that these terms, the breath and the wind of God, are the invisible energy of God that creates and sustains all life. That his pneuma in the New Testament, his ruach in the Old Testament. It's, God, it's God's breath, which we can't see, but it's that spirit or that energy that goes forth into the world that creates and gives life. And so we see this plainly at creation in Genesis chapter 1. We open the, book, the, the, the scriptures, we open to the book of Genesis when the earth is still formless and it's empty and that there's darkness over the surface of the deep. What we see is the spirit in Genesis chapter one, the ruah, the spirit of God is also hovering over the waters. So at the very beginning of the story, we have this energy, this, this breath, this, this wind of God. 
and it's just waiting, it's hovering. And then we see in Genesis, when God speaks, then now his ruah goes forth, his breath, he breathes that into creation, and this invisible energy of God, it goes forth, and it actually brings to life all that is alive today. Have you ever been in a, witnessed something or uh, been a part of something that took your breath away? That like rendered you speechless? Now I'm not talking about like athletes and they get interviewed on TV and they're like, I'm just speechless. And then they go on and give a lot of words. Uh, or someone at a, you know, sort of an award ceremony. I don't even know what to say. And then here the notes and then the whole and they've got it all and there's a bunch of words. That's not what I'm talking about. There are very few experiences in my life have rendered me speechless. I'm sure that's a surprise to, to many of you who have known me for any length of time. In fact, there's only really been one time in my whole life that I attempted to say something and words wouldn't come out. Just one time. It was the birth of our firstborn daughter, Kinsley. Uh, you know, when you give birth or in the room or you're in the room with a woman who is giving birth for the first time. Everything is really new. <laughs> and, uh, and the drama is real. <laughs> and um, we, our first time through, we had a lot of all of that, a lot of new and a lot of drama. I, I, I lit a candle to kind of like set the mood and they were like, you can't do that. There's like oxygen and all sorts of other things in here. You're gonna blow this hospital up. So I was learning, I was learning on the fly. And um, you know, part of our drama was that Kinsley took a while getting here. And you know when you're a first time parent, it just everything freaks you out. And, and we had some cause to be concerned and so we were concerned. She took a long time. And um, it, this isn't really quite that uncommon but the umbilical cord was wrapped around her neck so that freaked us out a little bit. And so when she finally arrived and she got untangled and the doctor did his thing and and then handed her to the nurse, and it was just silent in the room, and then eventually Kinsley takes her first breath, and she lets out her first cry. I knew in that moment, in that room, I was witnessing a miracle. I, I can't explain it. I, I couldn't have even articulated at that point, but there was just a weightiness to see something just sort of there, just take its first breath and be animated by that breath, to literally just sort of like come to life in the world. This, this, this is connected to the breath of God that went out long before, long ago. This is connected to that invisible energy of God. It was creating life, this energy of God, that we see at the very beginning, it was creating life right there in that hospital room, and I got to, I got to see it. I got to, to witness it. So I called my mom from the delivery room to let her know, and I literally couldn't speak. It was shocking. <laughs> it was shocking and to open your mouth and just nothing come out. It never happened to me before or since, praise God. I was literally unable to speak. In the beginning, what we see is a formless, chaotic mess of a world. 
over which the breath, the wind, the energy of God is hovering. And, and then God speaks. And then throughout the scriptures, we see God's power, his ruah, not only bringing to, to life all that is alive today, but we see his ruah throughout the scriptures going out and empowering people. So now it's not just bringing things to life and, and even humans to life, but it's, it's, it's empowering people to participate with God in new creative ways. Uh, the Ruah, for example, is what we will read about when we read that Joseph was able to understand and interpret dreams. He was able to do that because of the spirit of God, that wind uh, uh, of God. The Ruah empowered an artist named Betzalel with wisdom and skill. We see the Ruah empowering the prophets so that they could understand what was happening in history from God's point of view. The Spirit of God, once it goes out and begins to create, it continues going out and it continues creating. That's the Ruah of God. So we come here again to Romans chapter 8. The sin and the death that the Apostle Paul is talking about here is the result of the deceit of Satan and Adam and Eve's rebellion against God that we see here right after the Ruah goes out. So what we see then is that darkness, like before creation, it covers the earth again. The darkness covers the earth, the spirit goes out, it brings it to life, sin enters the world and begins to de deconstruct and to bring about death, and, and, and therefore God must send his ruah back out, and now he does that in the person of Jesus, who comes along, according to Paul, in the spirit that gives life, the ruah, the pneuma, the spirit of God, Jesus comes and recreates all that had devolved because of our sin and rebellion against God. But see, right before Jesus does that, at the beginning of his ministry, we talk a lot about the baptism of Jesus because there's a lot going on there. And at his baptism, we see the spirit, the pneuma of God descending on Jesus like a dove. Well, what's happening there? What's happening there is that the pneuma of God, like, it had, like the Ruach had empowered all of the prophets and the artists who had come before, we see that same spirit of God now coming on Jesus, empowering Jesus to recreate, to put back to order everything that had been broken. We see this happen when Jesus heals, or we see people, uh, Jesus uh, forgive people their sins. Jesus comes and he creates life where there was death, just like at the beginning. Even though they crucified Jesus, we see that the spirit, the invisible energy of God, animates the body of Christ, raising him from the dead. This is powerful stuff that we're talking about. And the intent of the scriptures is this. The intent of the scriptures is the coming of God's presence. It's the coming of God's ruah, his spirit, his pneuma, the, this force of, of his creative, sustaining, life-giving energy among his people, his spirit. This is the intent for us to see. Do you see now? Right before Jesus ascends to heaven and he says, I'm going away, but someone else is coming. The pneuma, the spirit of God was to come and to continue what had already begun. Look at Romans uh, 8, verses 5 through 8 now, next set of verses here. That's how we see the ruah or the spirit or the pneuma of God in the scriptures. Those who live, Paul says now, according to the flesh, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. 
what I want you to see this morning is that pursuing the way of presence as one of the four essentials of following Jesus is, is part of what Christian discipleship is. Part of Christian discipleship is learning to pursue the presence of Jesus, or to use Paul's language here in Romans chapter 8, it is to learn how to live life according to the spirit that gives life. We all know how to live life according to the spirit of the flesh that brings death. We're really good at that. We're naturals at that. We were born into that. But we have to learn how to live life according to the spirit. That's Christian discipleship. And these are two very different and very contrasting pursuits, life according to the Spirit and life according to the flesh. We either pursue life according to the Spirit or we pursue life according to the flesh. We can't at the same time go after the things of the Spirit and at the same time be going after the things of the flesh. They contradict. And then we see here that a mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace, and that's what we're all after anyway, isn't it? It's life. It's vitality. It's that fullness that the scriptures talk about and promise. It's peace. It's peace with God. It's peace within our own hearts and our minds. I know some of you here this morning, you just long for peace of mind. You long for that peace of God to settle in your heart. So others of you walk in, you, you long for peace in your relationships. You long for peace even in your body. Your body's at war with itself, and you need to be healed. We all long for the life and peace that the Spirit gives. And Paul writes a couple verses later that even though our bodies are still subject to death, the Spirit gives us life. That's beautiful. We live in this tension. We live in the tension that we feel between life and death. And the life that we have is a gift of the Spirit. Now, I want you to watch this in verse 11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. This is incredibly powerful. What Paul is saying to the Romans, and therefore to Christians in, in, in history moving forward, is if the breath of God, if the ruah, the, the pneuma of God, if the wind of God, if the energy of God that went out at creation is living in you, and we know that it's living in all of us who have confessed Jesus because the scriptures tell us as much, then God who raised Christ from the dead by his spirit will also give life to your mortal bodies. That is a promise that I hope you don't miss this morning. That though you feel and are acutely aware of your lack of peace and, and the, the sickness and the death that you feel and see and experience, though that's all real, there is this promise. As followers of Jesus, we live in the tension between death and life. We hold the tension. We know our frailty. We know our insecurity. We know the inevitability of our death, but we hold to the promise of life because we have within us the Spirit of God. So in that sense, pursuing the way of the Spirit is how we learn to hold the tension in our world. It's how we learn to hold the tension and walk in the hope of that promise. Though things look 
desperate, and though we um, are tempted to despair, though things are dark, we wake up every single morning, and there's something happening. The world is so small now, and there's something that's happening, whether it's the migrants um, that were found uh, tragically dead in the back of this semi in the UK this week, or whether it's any sort of number of the Kurds that have sort of been left and trying to defend themselves, and women and children, everybody. So regardless of what, we wake up to this like despair, and because of the Spirit, we are able to, to recognize the pain in the world and yet hold on to the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. So pursuing the way of presence, if you're given to despair, then, then the idea here is let's pursue the way of presence. Some of us have let go of the tension on either side. That might be sort of the definition of privilege. The definition of privilege might be, I'm letting go of the darkness and the tension. I just don't want to deal with it anymore. Well, look, if you're in that situation, then count yourself privileged. If you don't have to deal with darkness or despair or brokenness or whatever it is, then, then you're, you're in a spot of privilege, a place of privilege. And some of us in a place of privilege are tempted to let go because it's so hard, it's so difficult to look at the darkness in the world. Well, others of us in this room have let go of the other side, the other end of the rope. We've let go of the tension that there is hope, and we're given over to the despair and the darkness. Pursuing the way of presence brings us back into the tension and teaches us how to hold on to it, how to um, be persecuted but not crushed. Paul says in verse 12 that we have an obligation to live this way. See, this isn't just like, hey, guys, we just want you to know this is available to you if you want it. No, Paul says if we have the spirit of God living in us, we are obligated to live in this way. Not life according to the flesh, but life according to the spirit. To pursue the way of God's personal life-giving presence. Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, super familiar, but don't gloss over this. Jesus says, come to me. This is his invitation. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, Jesus doesn't give a solution. He gives himself, his presence. So we have the Holy Spirit, Jesus fully embodying the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit fully indwelling in Jesus, empowering him to create the world anew. And therefore, Jesus says, I have this life force. Now, come to me. Be present with me. How do we find rest of the weariness and the burden of holding the tension between life and death? It's the presence of God. What we're unable to do in the flesh will be done for us by the Spirit and has been done for us by the Spirit in the personal, empowering presence of God. So the question then this morning is this. How then do we pursue the way of presence? If the spirit of God has gone out, and gone out into the world and if it's creating life and I want that life and I want that peace and I want to hold the tension, then how do I pursue the way of Jesus? I think it's interesting in the Gospel of John, I think it's chapter three, that Jesus describes the spirit as a wind that blows wherever it pleases. So in other words, the spirit isn't something that we can control or put in sort of a box so if that's true, if the spirit is a wind that can't be controlled, it just blows wherever it wants, then we have to make space for some sort of like multi-dimensional spirit who we might experience in different ways. 
So in other words, I'm not prescribing just sort of like one pathway for experiencing the presence of God or pursuing the presence of God or the way of presence. There's a story in 1 Kings that illustrates this beautifully, and I, I want to just, for some of you, this will be a reminder of the story. It's the story of the prophet Elijah taking on the prophets of the false god Baal. Now, if you grew up in church or Sunday school, you heard this story probably. A lot of the scary stories were sort of censored out of my Sunday school class. I only came to know about these later in life. The Valley of Dry Bones, I don't remember hearing about that one in um, first grade. But I did go to a Baptist church, so it's highly likely I did hear it in first grade. So, it's the story of the prophet Elijah. He's taking on the prophets of, of Baal. Um, it's, it's this incredibly classic sort of showdown between God's person and, and, and the false person uh, and his people. So the, the deal is this, that the prophets each prepare a sacrifice, and then they're going to call on their gods to rain down fire to consume the sacrifice that they've prepared, okay? This is the showdown. It's to de- demonstrate who is the real one true God. Uh, And so Elijah, like a boss, allows the prophets of Baal to go first. You go ahead and do your thing. You build your, you build your altar. You put your sacrifice on the the the, the altar, and then you begin to to pray to your God. And that's what they do. And so the prophets of Baal, after hours and hours and hours of fruitless begging, Elijah steps in, and now it's his turn. And so we pick up the story here in First Kings uh, eighteen, verse thirty-six. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Simple prayer. Not a lot of extra words, no incantations, no beating himself or flogging himself or cutting himself with pottery. God, this is who you are. Would you show up so that these people will know who you are and they will turn their hearts back to you? And then the fire of the Lord fell and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This is an unbelievable story, a powerful story of God's presence and the faith of a prophet, the faith of one person pursuing the presence of God, knowing that God would show up. One way we experience God's presence is when God supernaturally breaks into our world and breaks through those things that seem impossible to us. That's one way we experience the presence of God. We see this all throughout the scripture. We see this all the time in Jesus. The pinnacle of that, of course, is the resurrection itself. It is the spirit of God, the ruah, blowing, the pneuma of God blowing throughout creation and breaking through where things seem impossible and doing supernatural things, bringing about supernatural results. We want to, as a community, pursue the way of presence in a way that makes room for the spirit of God to blow in any direction, in any way that God chooses. To pursue the presence of God in any other way or sort of any other sort of limited way is to say to God, we're actually not really interested in your presence so much as we are the idea of your presence. 
But until we can say, I want to pursue the way of, of presence, even if it's going to make me uncomfortable, even if, it's, even if it's going to mean me relinquishing control, that's a huge one for all of us. Enneagram 8s, any of you out there? Yeah, to have control over your life, to hold on to the thing that you have. The, the, the presence of God and pursuing the way of presence um, demands that we relinquish control and we not prescribe, prescribe to God the way it is that we think he should show up in our lives. Some of us are, are pursuing what we think is the presence of God, but we're really trying to prescribe to God the most palatable way we want to experience him or need him to show up in our lives. But we, we want to pursue the way of presence in this way because we believe that anything is possible. We believe that anything is possible and we actually expect God to move through the spiritual gifts of his people. We actually expect God to bring healing to people in this room and outside of this room. We actually expect God to do the miraculous because what's changed? It was the ruah of God in the beginning, the pneuma of God, the spirit of God, and it's still the ruah, the pneuma, the spirit of God that moves about the earth and even indwells us, bringing about new creation. So why would we expect there to be anything different? Why would we allow ourselves to be limited by what looks unnatural or, or, or better yet, by what looks impossible for God to do? So if we're gonna pursue the presence together, then there will be times in our lives where if God doesn't break through, we, we have to just admit we're through, that there will be these moments where we are so desperate for God to show up that just things will just collapse. And some of, a, some of you are in that place now. You're in a place in your own life, maybe you didn't expect to be, where you feel like if God doesn't show up in this situation, I'm done. I don't know how I will carry on. Some of you um, have been there in the past. Some of you are moving in that direction. I'm finding the older I get, the more I find myself in these kinds of like sort of desperate places where I realize how little control I really have over my life and how much I need God, not just to show up in nice, neat ways, but to show up in ways that I can't show up myself, to, to show up supernaturally, to break through the walls. Let me tell you something, like New York City doesn't need a nice God that we can just like sort of learn a lot of apologetics and then sort of go to debate against all of those other people in the city. That's not what the city needs. It's not going to work. The city needs a supernatural breakthrough by the Ruah of God. That's what the city needs. It's too big. It's too big a task. And some of you are experiencing that personally yourselves. Pursuing the way of presence means believing God to do what only God can do. It means pursuing the gifts of the Spirit that have been put in each of us that belong to Christ. It means pursuing the supernatural movement of God. Okay, got it? There's a stream of Christianity, a charismatic stream that we can draw from. It's a very rich stream where we've seen God do incredible things. It's the charisma, the spirit, the move, the breath of God. That's what the word means. But Elijah's story doesn't just end there. After the showdown, someone threatens Elijah's life. So can you, Elijah is so confident that God's gonna show up and, and rain down fire and consume his altar that he has arrogantly, I might add, He's had everyone add water to the already sort of like dry altar and, and sacrifice. He's like, well, just douse it with water. This will really show you when God shows up. And I imagine God probably like maybe rolls his eyes. He's like, well, I just got to, doing it anyway, whatever. 
and Elijah's showing off a little bit. So Elijah's really full of himself, and now he prays, and God comes and does, I mean, it's just an incredible supernatural act. And now one person threatens Elijah's life, and he's terrified. He's just seen God do this, this incredible thing. So if you think that if I just saw God break through in this way, then I would trust and believe. It's not true. We need God to continue to show up. Presence is a pursuit. It's something we're always after. Now here's Elijah, and he's scared. He's afraid for his life, and so he runs. And he's in so much despair that he actually prays for his life to end. He sits down under this broom tree, and he says, oh, God, I'm scared, and I don't want this to happen, whatever. I just wish my life would end. And then supernaturally, God ministers to him through these angels. This angel comes, and he says, hey, get up and eat this bread. And he looks over, and there's like this bread over here on the stone. He's like, okay, cool. He eats it. And then he's fueled by that bread for 40 days and 40 nights, and he just continues to run until he gets to a mountain called Mount Horeb. Now, what's interesting about Mount Horeb is that Mount Horeb is called in the scriptures the mountain of God. Think about that. Here's Elijah running, 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 and he finally rests when he gets to the mountain of God. We pick up the story here now in 1 Kings 19.9. Here's Elijah. I imagine he's pretty tired. He's gone 40 days and 40 nights on a loaf of bread. He's covered a lot of ground. It says, then he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And many of you in this room are very zealous for the Lord. You have a real faith. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, and it shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of a cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is the same question that he was just asked. And Elijah gives the same answer. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Well, we know what he's doing now for 40 days and 40 nights. He's rehearsing his speech. It's what he's doing. I feel so bad for myself, blah, 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 this is this. And he comes up with this great, this is really succinct, it's clear, okay, we get it. And now I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. There's so much in here. But what we have is a man, a servant of God, someone faithful to God, who's afraid for his life, who knows that if God doesn't show up, he's done. If there's no breakthrough, he's through. He needs God to show up. He doesn't know where to turn, what to do, what direction to head. He's living, see, in the tension between death and the life that the Spirit promises. That's Elijah's life. It's defined by this tension. And he experiences the presence of God. But see, not like before. Elijah experiences the presence of God in a new way. How did Elijah experience the presence of God before? Breakthrough through the fire. 
And in the, in the story, just a few verses later, what we read is that after the fire came a gentle whisper. So my question today is this. If the presence of God showed up today in a gentle whisper, would we even hear it? If, if the presence of God, the voice of God came to you today, would you be able to even pick it out over the noise that's going on in and around your life? We live in a city that's noisy, it's filled with distraction, but see, our internal lives are that way too. We can't just blame it on the, sort of like the endless sirens and the screaming of the cell phone at all hours of the morning or whatever it is in your particular part of the neighborhood, but we, we, are, we can't blame it on all of that because we have sort of this inner thing that's happening as well, and our lives inwardly are as loud as the distractions are outwardly. A philosopher calls that our horror vacuee. You may remember me introducing this term several months ago. It's, it's this, this noise within us, is, most of it is driven by our own fear of emptiness. So we stay busy. We keep, the, we keep the white noise on, as it were. We fill our lives with distraction. Now, if God is going to show up in a gentle whisper, you can see the problem. You can see the challenge. If we are never quiet enough or our lives are never distraction-free enough to pay attention, to recognize, or to hear, to even know that we're in the presence of God. So what I want you to see this morning is that pursuing the way of presence, it requires that we approach God in both ways, not only sort of borrowing from the stream of the charismatic Christian historical movement, also borrowing from the contemplative Christian movement borrowing tools from our spiritual mothers and fathers that have known and learned throughout history how to quiet the outer noise and the inner noise. Trinity Grace Church has always existed sort of at the confluence of these two streams, always. We've always tried to approach God in both ways, to pursue the presence of God, believing that there is breakthrough available to us, but also connected to the kinds of lives that bring us into the ongoing formation that God has for us, learning slowly and getting better over time at learning how to recognize and hear the voice of the Spirit. I want to give you two ways that we can pursue the, the presence of God in these two streams. We pursue, number one, the presence of formation through charismatic expression. We pursue the way that might, I think I maybe meant to say presence, but we pursue the way of presence through charismatic expectation. In other words, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that those gifts empower us like they've done throughout the scriptures for the Jesus-filled life and for kingdom breakthrough. We believe that. Um, I got to spend some time with some pastors this week. Now, normally that's not a lot of fun, but these are friends of mine. And, um, and so this summer we had our first opportunity, just eight of us to get together, and we had the second opportunity. All of these pastors are lead pastors in churches in cities, some of them here in New York, and then uh, one in Boston, and, and one in Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, one in Baltimore, Maryland. And so we all get to get together for three days here in this city. And we sort of divided our group in half, and so the first day, half of us got to share just sort of updates on our lives. And we, we asked and answered three questions that a lot of you in this community are familiar with. What's working, what's not working, what's God working? 
And so um, I, I think this group of guys is like relatively, you know, pretty optimistic. I know that I'm a really optimistic person. Well, let me just say the what's working didn't take a lot of time to share for each person, myself included. And the what's not working seemed to take a long time. And then the what's God working was sort of like question mark to be continued in process. And I just, I want to confess to you, like, I shared with the guys, like, the, the thing that I don't feel like is working in my life is that I don't know what our scoreboard is as a church. It's not that I don't know what the score is, although I don't. I don't even know what we're exactly measuring. But in spite of that, I always feel like I'm losing. It's a thing that I carry. And that's my sort of thing, and I, I don't know what your thing is, but if you were to think about what's working, what's not working, what's God working, I bet you'd spend some time being able to sort of articulate the, the thing that isn't working. So I shared a bunch of other things or whatever, and it's great because we sort of share a shorthand language because everybody sort of gets it or whatever, uh, that group of pastors. And so I, we, after we shared, we would just sit on a stool and everybody would gather around and just sort of lay hands on and pray and talk and share pictures and scriptures and things that were coming to mind. And I'm just saying that the Holy Spirit just poured himself out in that moment. Not just for me, but for each person that sat in that chair. There, there's like sort of like a sense of light or, or, or breakthrough or, or hope or joy. Like all of that stuff sorted, sort of started flooding back in. What was happening is there's some God bringing back to life some things in me that were starting to sort of shrivel to dry up. That's what the Spirit of God does. When we invite the Spirit to come breathing and bringing us back to life. I know that there are a lot of you that need breakthrough right now. You need God to breathe his ruach in you and create some life. Now, I'm not prescribing this as the answer, but I do want to mention that we've taken Wednesday, two, two weeks from uh, now, Wednesday, November the 6th, and we're just going to create an evening of prayer and worship in this room right here. And so we want to invite you to come. If you're in a small group in our community, if you lead a small group, make this your, make this your small group night. I know not all of you meet on Wednesdays or whatever, that's fine. Just but come, let's come together. What we're trying to do as a community is, again, create space for God to show up in whatever way he wants to, to bring about the breakthrough. We're pursuing, will something happen that night? I don't know. But what we're trying to do is pursue the way it's a part of our journey together as a community. If you're not in a small group, this would be a great opportunity to pursue Jesus with us midweek, November the 6th. Number two, not only do we pursue the way of presence uh, through charismatic, um, charismatic expectation, but we pursue the way of presence through contemplative formation. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I want to say this to you, the pursuit of presence is long and it is slow. We expect great uh, breakthrough, we ask God for breakthrough, but there's some risk, that's, that's faith. The risk is God will show up how he wants to show up. We can't control the spirit, but what we can do is choose a life of pursuing the presence, which is often long and slow. Pursuing the, the, the way of presence, it demands some things from us. It de demands silence and stillness and solitude. And so we need to develop habits that slow us down and quiet the noise because we don't want to miss a single word that God has for us. 
It's worth it. So there are some tools available to us from the contemplative stream. You might want to write some of these down. One is Lectio Divina. It's just an ancient way of coming to the scriptures and reading them prayerfully, a way of meditating through a passage of scripture, allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us and to teach us and to draw us into his presence. The examine is a powerful sort of prayerful reflection of our day. Many people pray the prayer of examine every night before they go to bed, just pausing for a few minutes just to reflect on their day, to recognize when did I feel closest to the presence of God and when did I feel furthest away. Now the beauty of the prayer of examine is it teaches us to see both of those as invitations to the person of Jesus, the spirit of God. Uh, we can learn how to prayer walk our neighborhood. There are lots of tools available. Today, I mentioned this earlier, today at intro, immediately following the worship gathering, we're gonna learn how to quiet ourselves, to implement a tool to learn how to begin to quiet ourselves and to listen to the voice of the Spirit. I have no idea what time I started this sermon, but I think I'm probably way over, if there even is an over. I don't think there is. But I'm at the conclusion. So if God has breathed his presence into the world, as followers of Jesus, we are obligated to pursue it. Tozer says, the importance of coming into God's presence is worth overcoming all obstacles along the way. It's worth whatever we need to move out of the way of our lives to make the pursuit of God's presence a real thing for us. Not only has God breathed his presence in the world to create and made his presence available to us, but God's breathed his, his spirit in us, animating our lives. We take, with every breath, we are animated by the breath, the wind, the presence of God. And discipleship is learning how to discern the voice of the spirit, how to listen to that spirit as he speaks internally and externally. So we want to expect the supernatural to break in. We want to learn how to exercise our spiritual gifts. We want to practice stillness, silence. We want it all because we want whatever it is that God has for us. That's where we're at as a church. So two questions as we close this morning. Number one, how will I create space this week to attune my ears to the whisper of God? There's this incredible truth that God is speaking all the time to us. So how will we create space to attune our ears to the whispers of God? And then the second question, how will I risk believing that God will break through and give me the miracle I need in my family, in my heart or in my mind, in my body? How will I risk believing? I think there are probably two groups this morning. There is a group in here that needs to risk believing because that's not your thing. You're into the long, slow thing, and that's great, but you need to risk believing in faith this week that God can and will show up in your life. Others of you, we need to risk this other thing. We need to, to say, okay, I'm wanting breakthrough, 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 but like where in my life am I getting quiet in case, in case the voice of God isn't in the earthquake this week? It's not in the wind. It's not in the fire. So we're going to respond this morning by creating space for God's presence. And so we could pray, come Holy Spirit. We invite the Holy Spirit to say what the Holy Spirit wants to say, to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do, however the Holy Spirit wants to do it. And so if you're serving communion, I want to invite you to come forward. Do we have two in the back as well or just the two in the front? Okay, so we have two stations in the front and two stations in the back this morning. So when you come to confess Jesus today by taking the bread and dipping it in the cup, 
come believing and trusting that even as you consume sort of this bread and this wine, as you consume it, it's a reminder of the incredible infilling of the Holy Spirit that we are taking in the breath of God which has the power to animate us, to hold on to the promise that though we feel dead, we will be made alive, to hold on to the hope and to live in the tension. Would you stand as we respond?